Uh, let's just start with the phone calls, and Mac is up first. Good morning, Mac. Good morning. Good morning, sir. I have a, I have a couple of questions, and uh, one that I hope will be a hint. Okay. Uh, I'll start with my question. Here, a week or so ago, you mentioned rock phosphate for tomatoes. Yes. Right. Plant. And uh, I stopped by my nursery and uh, that I do some business with, and I got a bag of rock phosphate. And uh, the fellow there said that I had to get some has to grow. Okay. I just wanted to get your opinion on uh, any pointers of using has to grow on with uh, phosphate with uh, bucketed tomato plants. Okay, well, here's the thing about rock phosphate. What you want to do is uh, you want to put a glob of it in the bottom of the hole. You don't want to um, be mixing it in with the soil, but because of the nature of our soils, uh, if you mix rock phosphate with the soil, it just gets chemically tied up to where the plants can't get it. But when you put a glob of it and just, you know, I mean a handful, a very exacting measurement, about a handful in the bottom of the hole, plant your tomato plant directly. Directly on top of that, the tomatoes grow the roots down through the rock phosphate and actual, you know, studies where they have actually measured the, uh, uh, the number of pounds of tomatoes that you get from the plant, uh, it doubles it. So I am a big fan of putting rock phosphate in the bottom of the hole. and But that does not take the place of your broader fertilizer. And that's what your Hastagro does. And in a container, I use Hastagro. I would encourage you to use it probably every couple of weeks through the growing season. I always tell myself I'm going to use it every couple of weeks. And if I get around to doing it once a month, it's <laughs> the plants are lucky. But, uh, um, no, I, I think that uh, whoever you were talking to gave you real good advice. Now, I happen to like the powdered rock phosphate as opposed to the granular, and you can buy that at most nurseries under the Carl Poole label. But even if you got the, uh, you know, the pelletized rock phosphate, just, just a good handful in the bottom of the hole. Put your plant on top of that. The other thing that I would tell you to do, and you probably won't get this at the nursery, but go to a drugstore, go to your grocery store, get a bag of Epsom salts. And after you have your plants in and growing, you don't want to put this in the hole. You want to put it over the surface of the soil. But put a good handful of Epsom salts on the surface of the soil. And what this does, it keeps the calcium and magnesium in balance, and you don't end up. There is a condition called blossom end rot, where the bottom portion of the tomatoes turns dark and just shrivels and gets all gnarly looking. Top of the tomato is still good, but that happens not as a disease, as the name would suggest, but that happens when your calcium and magnesium get out of balance. You sprinkle just a handful of uh, magnesium sulfate Epsom salts on the surface of the soil around each plant. You will never see any blossom end rot, and you grow a much better tomato plant. So I think you're off to a good start. I do have to say, if you're in the in the San Antonio or actually anywhere around this area, hold off planting your tomatoes till about Thursday or so, because we're going to be pretty chilly. But uh, you're, you're off to a real good start, Mac. Well, will that rock phosphate, will that uh, dissipate? It will over time. I have to tell you, at the end of the season, when I 
pull up my tomato plants, I'll sometimes find, you know, still kind of a glob of it in the bottom of the hole, but there are no negatives to it. Uh, like I say, if you mix it with the soil, it becomes inactivated, but uh, it's not like it's going to cause any problems. So in um, most of it will uh, go away over a full growing season. You don't need to worry about replacing it, but uh, like I say, when we get to the end of the season, you pull things up, even if you still find a, a little white layer down there at the bottom, that's not a problem. Okay. Well, my next question was, I got you. My next question being, I was in the Uvalde area last week. Okay. And I saw a, uh, some uh, mountain laurels mm-hmm. that were uh, blooming. And, okay. Uh, I got a small uh, twig. It had some of the blooms and some of the seeds, and I just wondered, can, are those seeds viable? They absolutely are, but here's the thing about mountain laurel seed. Mother Nature knows that in the relatively hostile environments where mountain laurels grow, um, it may be years before we get a, uh, the right conditions for a mountain laurel to really get started growing well. So the seeds are very hard. They uh, That red seed is coated with kind of a waxy layer, and if you just stick those seeds in the ground, you might wait three years before that decided to sprout and grow. So when we want to grow mountain laurels from seed, what we do is take a file, um, give me a fingernail file, and you're not trying to make a hole in the seed. You're just scratching enough to abrade that waxy surface, and then that lets the moisture get into the seed, lets the seed germinate and start to grow. Um, Again, don't saw a hole in the side of the seed. I have uh, had one caller one time uh, tell me he goes out to the shop with his grinding wheel, and he just grabs the seed with a pair of pliers and just touches it for an instant to that grinding wheel but what you're trying to do is just break through that waxy layer on the surface so that the seed can absorb the moisture and uh, that's what will get it started growing and yes you should get almost 100% germination on your mountain laurel seeds the one precaution about growing, planting, transplanting mountain laurels they have a very delicate root system. If that root system gets up, there's very gets broken up, there's very little chance the plant will survive. So handle that root ball on your mountain laurel like it's a great big chicken egg and just be incredibly gentle. Don't ever move the plant by grabbing the top of it. Always grab it by the pot or by the root ball. And uh, Mount Laurel, as long as you've got uh, half-day sun and good drainage, it'll be one of your best and easiest plants ever. Okay. Well, I got you on that, and my suggestion is, uh, I don't know, this is an observation that I had, and that is if you have a garden and along the fence, cattle on the other side of the fence, uh-huh. what I found out is that it seems to be play for me. Cow sometimes will reach over that fence and kind uh, <laughs> of experiment or but one thing they will not bother is okra. So uh-huh. I always planted okra right along the fence. Cows were touched it. <laughs> That's a great suggestion. That's a very good suggestion, and I. Uh... Uh, I will certainly pass it along. My garden has a six-foot fence around it. Fortunately, my cows don't have legs quite that long. But for everybody with a, with a shorter fence, putting the okra on the edge would be a great idea. Plus, it's probably going to be the sunniest spot in the garden, and that's what okra loves. 
Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You have a good day. Well, thank you, Mac, and you do the same. And uh, let's talk to Dwight on line number two. Good morning, Dwight. Good morning, Bob. Just a good morning. Questions today. Yeah. Uh, Peachtree's already bloomed out and all. Is that you know, is this freeze going to bother it? Where do you live, Dwight? Canyon Lake. Um. If it gets as cold as the weathermen are forecasting at this point, yes, it most definitely will bother it. If your tree's small enough that you can wrap it or do anything like that, it probably will. Uh, it will be necessary because if the forecasts are accurate, and I have very little faith in the weatherman, I always figure it's going to get colder than they say, but everything I'm looking at saying 23, 24 degrees on Tuesday morning, and that would be enough to uh, do severe damage to your little developing fruit. Not going to hurt the tree per se, even though it may freeze a few of the small leaves that have started to come out, but uh, this is not a good thing for peaches. Uh, I would love to hear from someone up in Fredericksburg. I talked to somebody yesterday, and they said, well, about only half the trees have bloomed out, and uh, therefore, you know, everybody should get something of a crop, but if there's anything you can do to protect that tree tonight, uh, I sure would do it. Not, Not so much tonight, but tomorrow night for sure. Tonight and tomorrow night, probably in Wednesday morning just to be safe but uh yeah we're going to get cold enough to hurt the fruit i was was thinking about doing a sheet over the top of them do you think that'd be enough um again i don't know how cold it's going to get and if you have access to any of what they call floating row cover um, we like the brand called insulate uh, it is much more effective uh, than just, you know, a cotton sheet or something like that. But anything that holds a little warmth, anything that, uh, uh, you know, the, the thing about uh, to anything that's at all solid, we are expected to get some fairly strong winds before the day's over. So certainly don't want to use anything that's going to catch a lot of wind and beat up and down on that tree. Uh, a sheet would be better than nothing, but if you can get a if you can get a piece of insulate or any other floating row cover, uh, that's going to be the best protection you could put on them. Okay, and uh, what should we be planning right now, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> well, right now, you are certainly safe to still be planting potatoes would be a good thing. Um, any nurseries still have some asparagus. Good time to get that in the ground. Uh, onions and leeks, uh, yes, those can still go in the ground. Uh, beyond that, uh, maybe a little more lettuce. Maybe if you want to get uh, one more crop of the fairly short uh producing radishes there's some radishes out there that'll produce in 35 to 45 days uh you can certainly put those in any really any of the leafy vegetables chard spinach mustard you probably on your leafy vegetables will want to look for little plants rather than planting seed because you get about a four to six weeks head start setting out plants as opposed to seed but uh if you do that i think you're still fine to plant any of your leafy greens but um i'm not planting my beans or cucumbers or squash or tomatoes or peppers yet uh i've i just um and and there's no guarantee that this is our last you know freeze i'm probably going to be waiting till toward the end of march to plant my real warm weather crops but there's still plenty of leafy greens and like i say still a great time for leeks onions uh potatoes asparagus those are all things you'd be be getting in the ground today okay i've got 25 tomato plants in my garage <laughs> well, put them where they're getting plenty of light, because it's going to be about three days at the earliest before I'd be thinking about putting them in the ground. 
Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait until the end of March. Well, okay, as long as you've got good light for them. If they don't get enough light, they will get, you know, kind of tall and spindly. So move them outside on the warm, bright days. Maybe step them up to a little bit bigger container, and uh, you'll be playing the odds just right. Okay, thank you, Bob. My pleasure, Dwight. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, we're back to gardening on a uh, not bad Sunday morning. It's just Mother Nature's reminding us, and uh, I'll tell you what, yeah, we can just say for sure, don't trust that blasted groundhog up there. Old Poxitani Phil must have uh, had a hangover on Groundhog Day, I guess, because we're going to have a little bit more winter, but that's not a bad thing. We're going to talk to Mark and Kay and Tracy and Jed. Uh, let's talk to Mark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. And thinking about you guys. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a day of uh, getting things settled here. <laughs> well, yeah, getting things settled and getting everything a thorough, thorough watering, because I suspect up in Fredericksburg you're as dry as I am in Bernie. And even though the ground looks wet on top, and even though you may get mud on your shoes, man, if you're like me, you dig down six inches. That soil is dry, 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 and we need to get it moist before the real cold weather hits. Yeah, it hasn't been a good rain in a while. Yeah, our our uh, peach, plum, and pear are, are pretty much all in full bloom now. So right. that'll be history. <laughs> Except our our, our two um, um, long chill hour peaches haven't bloomed. They're twelve hundred chill hours. Yeah. So so we have a chance with them. So, yeah. Uh, and I was thinking about you sitting over here at Phoenix. There was a hummingbird just came by. So I don't know. Have you, have you started seeing hummingbirds oh. yet? This is the first one I've seen. Not yet. They're due in, I guess, within two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Nothing yet. Um, uh, I put in some snow peas late, and they're about three or four inches high. Uh-huh. And, and we're going to have probably low 20s for at least 10 hours each night and below yeah. freezing for a long time. Throw throw some roll cover over them, water them water them today, and put some roll cover over them, and they should be fine. Okay, they're under a trellis, so it's it's I can cover them, but it's it's kind of a job. <laughs> you know, I know the waiting. feeling. Yeah, I end up. Uh, uh, that's one reason that I've gone to growing a lot of snow peas in tomato cages because it is so much easier oh. to uh, you know to put yeah. some insulator, put some row cover over that uh, tomato cage. Uh, on when I was growing them, and I still have grown them up cattle panels. I end up having to put one piece of row cover on each side of the panel. Right. And uh, but right. it's yeah, just do the best you can because the plants uh, down in the low twenties, if they're protected from the wind, they should be fine. You may get a little leaf burn, but I, I sure don't think it's going to kill them if it doesn't get any colder than right. they say. Right, right, and and onion should be okay at eighteen or something probably. Hey, you may get a little damage to the top of them, but they're they're going to be just fine. Your onions may not be quite as big because, as you well know, every ring in the onion corresponds to one leaf on the top of the onion. And if we get a little foliage damage, the the bulbs aren't going to get quite as big, but they're still going to be tasty and good. Okay, yeah. And I, and I guess I, I planted like five or six different kind of kale, and most of it has kind of, kind of gone wimpy already. Is that just because of the heat? 
Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's like almost overnight. Virtually every one of the ornamental kales uh, at the nursery just suddenly bolted, and we've got yellow flowers everywhere. So they're still going to be pretty for a while. You can still uh, you know pick and eat. Now my uh, Toscano kale uh, hasn't bolted, and uh, but that one usually lasts a lot later into the spring. So uh, uh, I just cut the flowers off when they show up, and hopefully it'll go on. The leaves will be smaller than they have been but uh um yeah it's you going from warm to cool to warm to cool um everybody's kale is bolting you're you're yeah. not by yourself right okay okay all right <clears throat> well i'm gonna head out and <laughs> it's 36 and going down well luckily it's dropping slowly at this point so yeah Okay. Well, bundle up. You know, I'm sitting here. The the only bad thing about doing a remote bar broadcast when it's cold is I'm the headphones are tied to the deal. I can't get up and run around like you can. So you get out, and I'm sure you'll stay plenty warm with everything you've got to do. And uh, uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. I'll look forward to a report from you next week about how everything did. Okay. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. All right. Let's talk to Kay. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I ordered a propagating mat, and I have yeah. it now, but I'm not sure exactly what to do with it. Can I plug it in, in by a window in the house, or does it have to be outside somewhere? No, it can be used anywhere. Um, keep in mind, they it, it doesn't hurt a propagating mat to get wet, but you never actually want to immerse it in water. Um, what I would do if it is on a you know a surface that could be damaged, I would put uh, you know a plastic uh, garbage bag or something underneath it. Uh, if it's uh, and it's not going to get real hot, it's going to get probably eighty-five, maybe even ninety degrees. If that kind of heat would damage a surface, then put something underneath it. Uh, I have used things like the hardy plank in the past, just a layer of something that would insulate. But no, you can uh, uh, you can use your propagating mat inside, outside, wherever you like. Just be sure that you're putting it on, and I put it on a non-flammable surface. I, I've never heard of one actually getting hot enough to cause a problem, but I tend to put mine on, uh, if I'm putting them on wood, I'll usually raise them up slightly, but I, on a metal surface or for my case, or anything like that should be no problem whatsoever. So it it doesn't have to have sunlight or anything. It can be inside um, next to a window. Or? Well, your plants, yeah, your plants have to have sunlight, but the uh, the propagating mat doesn't. Uh, uh, it's just basically a, kind of like a waterproof electric blanket, if you want to think of it that way. Or probably the best uh, thing to compare it to. Uh, I understand that up north, people buy doormats with heating cables in them, so the snow and mm-hmm. ice doesn't build up on them, and that's what you've basically got just a greenhouse version of that but uh, you can use them anywhere they can be indoors it can be outdoors uh, but just you'll have to put them in a place that the plants would like if you're rooting cuttings of course that's one thing if you're growing tomato plants and I've got bunches of tomato plants sitting on top of my propagating mats and uh, you know I want to have those in virtually full sum because I want to make a real compact sturdy little tomato transplant but the propagating mat itself can go anywhere well, it's rose cuttings that I want. Uh-huh. 
So can I keep those by a window inside? For, you can't no? keep them by a window inside. Uh, put them in an area where you can take a little spray bottle, a little mist bottle, and uh, just mist over them three, four, or six times a day. Every time you walk by and pick up your little bottle and just spray a little bit of mist over it. Uh, one thing that we used to do, it's just more trouble than I want to go to. Some people used to actually, you know, put them in a clear plastic bag. I mean, ideally, if you had an old 100-gallon fish tank uh, that you could put something over to keep the humidity up, that would be even better. But uh, I think you're going to be fine this time of year rooting your cuttings just just in a sunny window. But uh, just mist them when, whenever you think about it, and that will give you that much more success. What kind of rose cuttings are you rooting um, I don't know. It's it's some kind that I've seen down the street, and it's really pretty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the the one rose that is difficult that I have to admit I have not really discovered the secret on, the Lady Banksy rose, which is what's starting to bloom around. There's a big white one right next to where I'm sitting right now, but the more common ones are kind of a light yellow color. That blasted rose is darn hard to root, but most of your really ornamental roses, they should root very easily for you. And if you've taken mature wood, um, I'd look for them to be rooted in about six to eight weeks. Okay. All right. One other question. Um, I have several Prada Barbados uh-huh. in my office, yeah. and every year so far they have frozen. This uh-huh. year they could freeze this week, but yeah. they haven't frozen yet, but they're really tall, uh-huh. as tall as a roof. Can I go ahead and cut them back anyway? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. it. Uh, you don't have to, but, <laughs> you know, you don't want a 15-foot Pride of Barbados out there unless you're up next to an office building or something. I'd cut them down to, you know, maybe 12, 18 inches tall. And Bernie, mine freeze to the ground every year, and they come back out, and they're 5 feet tall or so, extremely full. And that's as big as I want them to get. So, yeah, and now right. would be the time to do it because when you cut them back, uh, it's going to force them into starting into growth within about two to three weeks. And hopefully... Hopefully by that time we'll be on the day be beyond the nature of any hard freezes. Okay. Well, they're they're kind of on the property line and they're going over, so <laughs> keep them in. Keep Such them a problem to back. have a beautiful plant that's as high as the eaves. Imagine that. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it's it. It's a pleasure, Kay. Thanks for the call this morning. <laughs> Goodbye. You're well, don't dial right this second. Every line's taken. It's going to be Tracy and Jed and Robert and Gloria, and Tracy is up first. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Okay, so this is maybe a loaded question, but I have a, I have two lemon trees and an orange frost at Suma that's maybe about a year old. So it's about two and a half feet off of the ground. Okay. Uh, Okay, my lemon trees have always, they, they freeze back because um, I live like in the hill country. But uh-huh. what can I, or am I echoing? Um, not badly. Uh, sometimes phone connection does a little bit, but you're, I hear you loud and clear. You're not talking to me now, though. I'm trying to, like, maybe get a better connection. But anyway, so, okay, I... I need to cover them tonight, correct? Correct. 
And yeah, orange frost will go down into the 20s. That one is probably not as critical. The thing I worry about is that we have had enough warm weather to uh, get them started making a little bit of new growth. And even more importantly, we've had enough warm weather to get some blooms on them. And while 28 degrees is not going to hurt your orange frost, it could be damaging to any fruit that is starting to develop. So if you can cover and protect them, I would. Same thing's true of lemons. Are your lemons the Meyer lemons? They are, but one okay. of the bushes is so huge, I, I can take three, uh, like two or three of the big insulate sheets, and I still can't cover it, so well, I don't know what to do about that. Yeah, one. just do the best you can. It's it's not going to be hurt. I, I hate to see citrus freeze back, because many times that starts them coming out from the rootstock, because the rootstock, uh, usually sour orange or trifoliate orange, is much more cold-hardy. It'll go down to 10 degrees, and it will still mm-hmm. sprout out. And as you well know, you have to watch very carefully to prune out anything that is coming off below the graft point. And so I'd, I would protect things as best you can. Uh, at, and, and Myers Lim will go down to four of the plants and really suffer much damage at all. So uh, you're not in bad Even shape. Even just new growth on them right now. Yeah, just just cover as best you can. Uh, if you can't cover that bigger tree adequately, you may get a little frost damage, but it's sure not going to kill the tree. Okay, um, so in relation to the freeze, I, I know that you mentioned watering thoroughly. Yes. I'm confused about watering down into the ground if it's going to freeze, and also if it's drizzling, the water is still going to be up on top of the, the leaves, mm-hmm. and if it freezes, that's going to turn into frost. Well, here's the thing. Uh, the ground in our area it's very unusual for it to freeze at all. Even back, I remember when we first opened our nursery, we had a week when it went to five degrees and basically stayed there all week. And the ground froze maybe a quarter of an inch deep. So the water in the ground is a good thing for the plants and it hydrates the cells and uh, it helps the plants out. Even if you get some ice on the leaves, um, that actually in a way can be a protective because if you took the temperature of the ice, what's it going to be? 32 degrees? And, you know, under that ice, uh, it, something's not going to freeze as hard as it would if we're exposed to the open air and the wind and it went to uh, 22 degrees. Uh, ice can actually be an insulating layer. So don't worry if you get a little bit of ice on top of things. Uh, sure, you're going to have minor damage, but you'll have less damage uh, than you would have if there was nothing at all protecting the leaves. I mean, you know, the Eskimos live in igloos and living in ice houses, and it's a, yeah. I've never been in an igloo. I will freely admit that. I don't ever plan to be, but it, it'll be a lot warmer inside than it would be outside. Okay, so then the very last thing I wanted to ask you, um, I heard you talking to somebody about the mountain laurel seeds, about filing them. What, uh-huh. I, I threw a whole bunch of them out 
without filing them, but I did uh-huh. soak them. Um, on the next ones, I will file them, but if I'm just randomly throwing them out kind of in the wooded area, uh-huh. and you can't really water them. I mean, they grow like that normally without me yeah. doing anything. Yeah, and, and my point is there, that might be five years before they sprout and start to grow. I had a friend gave me a whole bucket of Mount Laurel seeds and, uh, you know, spilled it over into a flower bed in my yard, and there were probably maybe a hundred seeds uh, and this was a back flower bed that I didn't really pay attention to and so there are probably a hundred seeds landed up on that soil that was about three years ago and so far I've had about seven or eight Mount Laurel sprout and start to grow it's just in nature a very low percentage of them are going to germinate and grow every year if you're trying to start plants to set out you want every seed to sprout and that's what filing them does uh, abrading that waxy coat there's no mandate that you do that but if you don't do that they could lie there for five or ten or fifteen years before they decide to sprout and most people are not that patient okay that makes a lot of sense well i appreciate your call and enjoy the nice cold weather (laughs) you do the same tracy and take care of those citrus and green let's talk to jed that's uh line number two there good morning jed good morning it's jeb with a b like jeb oh jeb okay very good no problem. Uh, quick question, actually two questions. I bought uh, a Belinda's Dream Rose from you last July. Good. Beautiful plant, and I have never seen a rose with such full, thick blooms when it comes out. <laughs> it's just amazing. Yes, it is. Now, Beautiful plant. It is. The first couple, three roses we got, beautiful. But now I'm getting buds on there, and they're turning yellow. And what am I doing wrong? Two possibilities. Um, one is just it's gotten a little dry uh, because we we had barely a half an inch rate in February when uh, you know our, our average. I never try to say normal, but our average is like two point eight inches. So we had like twenty percent of what we usually do. So your Belinda's dream probably wants a good thorough watering. Also, every rose in the world that I know of is susceptible to a nasty little insect called a thrips insect that. Gets gets down inside the buds and sometimes it keeps the buds from ever opening sometimes when the buds open the petals on the rose are kind of burned and crispy uh, you could have some thrips insect there fortunately that is very easy to correct and just uh, give your your bushes a good spraying with garlic you can buy liquid garlic at the uh, nursery or you can uh, if you've got a garlic press you can squeeze some liquid out of it but uh, dilute your garlic down about two tablespoons per gallon spray that on your roses Uh, do it in the morning it's actually taken up by the plants and the thrips obviously have no italian blood because they leave they can't stand the taste of garlic and uh, that's safe and easy and i think it's a good a good program to follow on all roses just for thrips protection the other thing you can do is put out uh, beneficial nematodes in the winter months which uh, knocks out the thrips larvae in the soil and that might still give you some benefit but i've seen a lot of thrips out and flying around already this year with the warm weather we've had so uh water your uh, your belinda stream very thoroughly give it a garlic spray and i think uh you'll be set for a real pretty spring all right. Next question. I live out in Yancey, and I have never seen the clover as thick as it is this year. It uh-huh. is just terrible, and it's inundating everywhere. 
uh, when I first started seeing it, I blasted it with orange oil and vinegar. It killed right. it, no problem. But now it's coming back even thicker. Uh, do I just need to keep hitting it with that, or do I need to take the time to pull each individual? No, bag? no, you'll never pull it out. Here's the thing about clover. Clover is not a bad plant. Clover actually is one of the best soil builders we have. It has uh, little nodules on its roots filled with bacteria, which take nitrogen from the air and turn it into uh, nitrogen fertilizer. Clover is actually your friend. The only time, and it and it will grow in super hard soil and will naturally soften the soil. The problem is when it is so thick, and it's so thick because of all the rain we've had in the past uh, four or five months, but uh, if it gets so thick that it is shading out the other grasses underneath it, then that becomes a problem. It hasn't been a problem yet because even our Bermudas have not started growing. And what I'm doing when I have plenty of clover, just about everybody with poor soils has clover in abundance this year, I just mow it off. As soon as your native grasses, as soon as your Bermudas, your zoysias, as soon as your St. Augustines come back into growth, they're going to choke that clover back. But right now, while the, the condition are right for clover growth and not right for grass growth. Uh, you look out there and all you see is clover, and uh, but all I would be doing is mowing it off. You knocked it back once with the orange oil and vinegar. You could spray it again if you want to, but it's it's not like a real bad plant. It's actually doing some good things out there. So I'm just mowing it, and uh, when my regular grass starts coming out, it's going to take over anyway. I, it, it's not a big concern. Everybody's looking at it this year, and we've seen it plenty of times before. But this is. Uh, this is not a real problem. All right. Well, I'll it's only a problem for your wife's bitching at you about how <laughs> about how all the weeds in your yard. Yeah, so now that's a problem. But uh, tell her what I just told you, and a month from now, you know, it's everything's going to look totally different. All right, Bob. Well, I appreciate your help, sir. Always a pleasure, Jeff. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. you have a good one. <laughs> you too. Right. Goodbye. Well, looks like we're going to be talking to Robert and Glenn and Keith and Steve. Robert's up first. Line number three. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, sir. Thank you for your service at these, oh, these times and when we need it the most. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. How can I help you today? Uh, yes, sir. I have a Jane Magnolia and a play pot. Uh-huh. The pot is probably like two foot diameter, maybe sixteen to eighteen inches tall. Uh-huh. The plant is the plant itself is four to five feet tall, and yes, it's sir. already got uh, buds that are getting getting close to blooming. Uh-huh. Uh, should I protect that? I doubt if you need to. Magnolias, the the tree absolutely does not need protection. Magnolias go down to zero or below with uh, no problems whatsoever. And it's not going to be, the only time I'd be concerned if it was going to get so cold that the pot would freeze solid and stay frozen. But we're not looking at that kind of thing. We're looking at very cold mornings, but then getting up well above freezing, or at least three degrees above freezing during the day. So I'm not going to be concerned. Um you might get some minor damage to the buds, but here in San Antonio, I'm just seeing 33 or 32, 31, maybe 30 degrees. This is not a really hard freeze. This is a very inconvenient freeze for everybody that's planting begonias and tomatoes and everything. But uh, little Jim, no, you don't have a thing in the world to worry about with that tree. Is that a same as Jane Magnolia? Yes. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. I see. Yeah, the main thing is we don't want to lose a bloom, so we just planted this uh, yeah. probably like later in the 
summer last year. Uh-huh. And uh, it's the first bloom that we're going to get out of this plant. And <laughs> well, if you can leaves. wrap if you can wrap a little insulate or something like that around it, that would be nice. But okay. you know, right now it's very calm. But they're saying the winds could really come up, and I can see the potential if you wrap it with something that's really going to be flapping back and forth. That could do more damage, uh, physical damage to the buds than the cold is likely to. So if you have what we call a road cover that still allows us, uh, some air to move through it, something that uh, isn't you know heavy and rough to where it's going to break things up. Yeah, if you could wrap some insulate around it or any kind of floating roll cover, that would be good to protect the buds. I doubt that the cold's going to bother them, but just to be on the safe side, yeah, sure wouldn't hurt to wrap it. Okay, yeah, because on the tag it says it can, I don't know if they're talking about a, a, a plant planted on the ground or in the pot, or does it, I don't know if it matters, but the tag says it can, you know, take Minus 20, that's minus 30. Oh, yeah. 30. Yeah. And that is definitely in the ground. The problem with pots is pots can freeze solid all the way through, but that's not going to happen. This is, a, like okay. I say, this is an inconvenient cold, but, man, this is not life-threatening to anything out there, including uh, including this plant. So don't, don't worry about the overall cold, but if you can, give it a little protection just to plant the buds. That would be a good thing to do. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll do that. A little bit of work. It's not much to ask. Uh, yeah, just to <laughs> Yeah, and oh, okay. do give it a good thorough watering. Again, we always water before a freeze, never during a freeze. But um, okay. I, I would be giving that plant a real good drink this afternoon, and then you'll be set for the next several days. Okay, sir. Sounds like a plan. Thank you very much. Well, you're sure welcome, Robert. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir.